I'm Josh Woodman, former CFLer, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. My name is Cabrera Ron. You guys know me as Kobe. And today we've got one of our favorite guests back on the show, especially those of you who are fans of Canadian football. We've got Paul Woods back. He is an author, big time fan when it comes to the Argos and CFL historian. And we're going to talk a little bit about the CFL playoffs, which has gotten underway. And we're going to take a look, a close look at what could happen in a few weeks time at the CFL Grey Cup. Paul, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me, Kobe. Appreciate it. Love having you back. Uh, for those of you that didn't hear his first interview with us, it'll give you a, a huge amount of information on the history of the CFL and some of the probably most interesting stories I've heard relate about the CFL and some of the things that happened in around the league. So definitely want to take a look at that. Tune in. I'll leave a link at the bottom of this particular episode so you can check that out as well. But today we're going to talk about what's currently happening. And as a fan of the Toronto Argonauts, Paul, you've got to be pretty happy. Oh, absolutely. They're they're one game away from getting to the Grey Cup. So all of us Argo fans are uh, eagerly looking forward to what's going to happen on Sunday. Now, I don't want to jinx it or anything, but this is a very familiar feel to last season. Uh, yes, we're in the same position we were in last year. We were hosting the Eastern Final, and as as happened last year, the uh, the last game of the regular season did not matter. So a lot of guys got rested, and yeah, we're in we're in a similar situation. The one big difference is we're not playing the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Our arch nemesis will be playing the uh, Montreal Alouettes this week, uh, and we're looking forward to uh, to what I think is going to be a game that's going to send the Argos into the championship game. Okay, so like you said, the last game of the season did not matter, and the last game of the season happened to be against the Montreal Alouettes. Yep, that's right. So we lose that game, and for some reason there's been a lot of chatter amongst sort of CFL pundits about already writing the Winnipeg Blue Bombers into the final, but not doing so for the Toronto Argonauts. There's been some talk about maybe the Alouettes could be a bit of a nemesis to them. Do you think that's just some some fallout from the fact that they didn't really play the last game? Uh, well, that would be part of it. But I, I think um, it's funny. The Argonauts don't seem to have a lot of believers among pundits and among the media and even among fans in other cities. They People are skeptical about them. They don't, they don't buy that the, they have what it takes on offense. A lot of people are not fans of McLeod Bethel-Thompson, the quarterback. I am a huge fan of McLeod Bethel-Thompson myself, and I, I believe, I fervently believe he's going to prove a hell of a lot of doubters wrong in the next two weeks. Uh, so I think it's that. I think it's the fact that you know Montreal's got a more experienced quarterback Trevor Harris has been in the league for 10 years McLeod's been in the league for five and he's really only started for the past two Montreal's got a, a Grey Cup winning head coach in Danny Machocha the Argos are the only team of the four that are left whose head coach has not won the Grey Cup as a head coach so there's a there's a number of reasons for it that last that last game certainly you know might have opened some eyes because Montreal was quite dominant but it was against most 
mostly second stringers. You know, it, it certainly didn't bother me in the least. I, I, I would have loved to have won the game, of course, but the fact that Montreal moved up and down the field on a bunch of guys that we're not going to see on Sunday doesn't worry me at all. Okay, and then looking at the Western Division Finals, do you think it's unfair of people to just write the Blue Bombers in as going to be going to the Grey Cup when the Lions appear to have one of the most offensively talented teams in the CFL? I absolutely do feel that that it's it's unfair and wrong. I I look the Bombers are they're they're a tremendous team and they're the closest thing we've seen to a dynasty in this league in 25 years. If they win the third Grey Cup in a row, they'll be one of the all-time teams. But you're right. BC has an unbelievably good quarterback in Nathan Rourke. They've got a high-powered offense with some amazing receivers. I fully expect that game to be a lot closer than a lot of people would think. And in fact, I won't be the least bit surprised if the Lions manage to end up winning. It's tough. They're going to be in Winnipeg. It's going to be cold. You know, BC's a dome team, and Nathan Rourke doesn't have anywhere near the amount of experience that Zach Caleros has. But I'm expecting two great games, and I think that could we could end up with uh, the Lions in the Grey Cup. Is Nathan Rourke the best quarterback in the CFL right now? I would say he's the most talented quarterback. If he, if he, look, if he hadn't been injured halfway through the season, he was on track to set unbelievable records. He almost certainly would have been named the most outstanding player in the league. Uh, you can make a strong case that he even should have been named the most outstanding player in the league, even though he only played half the season. His stats were unbelievable. It was 25 touchdowns in nine games. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, he, and he ran for some, and he, and he, he, he rack, racked up, I believe, three games with more than 400 yards. He three times this year in nine games set and then broke the record for most passing yards by a Canadian quarterback. It, he, he's an unbelievable phenomenon, and we've been lucky to see him this year. Now, having said that, Zach Caleros from the Bombers had the greatest year Zach Caleros has ever had, and he will be a fully deserving winner of the Most Outstanding Player Award. I think he threw 35 touchdown passes. Uh, you know, He led his team to a 15-3 and record, uh, made some amazing throws, off-balance throws, under pressure, those types of things. But Rourke is a phenomenon. We, we've never seen, we haven't seen a guy like Nathan Rourke come into this league. I'm not sure we ever have, really. I mean, you know, even, it, granted it was his second season and he played a little bit last year, but he really kind of burst out of nowhere to become dominant almost immediately this season mm-hmm. uh, when, he, when he became the starting quarterback. And even Doug Flutie, who is unquestionably the greatest quarterback the league has ever seen, he's, he was not a dominant force his first year in the league. He was his second year, and so arguably Rourke is kind of similar. Uh, Flutie played more in his first year than Rourke did. So yeah, we really haven't seen anything like him. And the fact that he's Canadian, he's the first star Canadian quarterback that's been in this league in more than 50 years. Russ Jackson retired in 1969, and we have not had anybody like Russ since then until Nathan came along. And the sad thing is, I don't think we're going to keep him very long. I believe he's going to be in the NFL next year. Oh, okay. You think he'll get offers right away? I think so. I mean, the injury that he suffered, the foot injury he suffered in midseason, I'm sure it has it has given some NFL teams reason to think, yeah, I don't know. 
you know, he, but, but he recovered fast from that injury, right? It was, it was meant to be a season ending injury and he's back here three months later. Uh, and he looked very solid last week in his, in his first playoff game. Uh, you, you, you take combination of his youth. I believe he's 23 years old. So he's got lots of time ahead of him. Yeah. His, his development curve seems to be extraordinary. I mean, in, in college at university of Ohio, he completed something like 58 or 59% of his passes this year. He completed something like 80% of his passes. Passes. The fact that he's young, he's good looking, he seems to be a guy who's in the playbook all the time studying. I think this guy's got everything an NFL team would want. I'm not saying he's going to start out of the gate if he gets into the NFL next year, but I think uh, it would be very smart for some team to bring him in, give him a signing, a reasonable signing bonus with the idea, you got to, you got to crack at making this roster, and eventually we think you can play in this league. And I think he'll go somewhere in a good situation for him, and I think he will end up staying down there. But the only the only wild card is the injury. You know, the fact that he came back in time for for week twenty one for the last game. He played the played the first quarter of of the Lions last game, and he played the entire game last week, and he took some hits. And he still completed, I think, 22 of 30 passes for more than 300 yards, two touchdowns, led his team to victory over a very tough Calgary Stampeders team. That's got to be making some NFL uh, personnel people think, you know, maybe this guy really is the kind of guy we'd want to build around. Yeah, he does appear to be a good student of the game, which is something I think a lot of quarterbacks seem to lack coming into the league in the NFL side sometimes. So that is something to factor in. Well, absolutely. And, you know, like what he's, what he's shown this year is he's got an unbelievable ability to read plays and, 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 and do his reads, you know, like he just, he, he can figure out where, the, where to throw the ball faster than any quarterback in the league. It's an extraordinary ability that he's got to very quickly suss out what the defense is doing and which guy's the most likely to be open and then put that ball on a rope into that, into that tight window. He's got a really fast release. He's got all the stuff you'd want of a big star coming out of U.S. college football. Now, what's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' answer to Nathan Rourke? Well, they've got an amazing defense for one thing. I mean, they they've you know two time Grey Cup champions. They've got they've got Willie Jefferson, who is by far the the most dominant weapon on the defensive line in Canada. He didn't he didn't rack up as many sacks this year as he has in previous years, but but Willie Jefferson is almost unblockable. And he's the kind of guy that teams completely have to game plan around. They've got Adam Big Hill, a, a veteran middle linebacker who goes sideline to sideline. He he's got wheels, and they've got a whole pile of defensive backs who can take you in, in press man coverage, who can play zone coverage effectively. And, of course, uh, the Bombers can also control the ball. They keep Nathan off the field. If, if Zach Caleros can, can engineer some, some big, long drives, uh, mm-hmm. mixing up the run and the pass, and keep Nathan off the field, you do that, and then you, and then you throw Jefferson and, and, and Jackson Jeffcoat coming in on the pass rush. That's, that's, a, that's the beginning of how you stop Nathan Rourke. Okay, so you've mentioned a number of sort of superstar names there, and I think one of the reasons why the Argonauts get overlooked on occasion is because they're not really a team of superstars. They're really a cohesive team. But if you had to pick a superstar in that team, who would you pick? Oh, that is a great question, Kobe. I mean, it, it, it's true. We don't, we don't seem to have the defining player like almost every other team seems to have. Mm-hmm. 
I actually think I think what's going to happen the next two weeks is that the next two weeks, McLeod Bethel Thompson is going to establish himself as a Grey Cup championship winning quarterback who's going to prove doubters wrong. But even if he does, there's going to be doubters still. He won't prove all the doubters wrong. Uh, and you know, I think you know, the the biggest name on the team, arguably the two biggest names on the team, are probably Brandon Banks, uh, the receiver, and Andrew Harris, the running back. And both guys are are well past their prime. I mean, Brandon Banks was the the CFL most outstanding player in 2019 which is not that long ago but he has not looked the same since then and he's he's for sure on the downside of his career and has not had a, a tremendously good season for the Argos Andrew Harris is a is a one-time dominant running back he's he's rushed in the CFL for more than 10,000 yards I think he's fourth on the all-time rushing list he's a three-time Grey Cup champion who who was the Grey Cup MVP a couple of years ago uh, but again, he's 35 years old. The 35-year-old running backs don't tend to be featured. That's and right. Andrew missed more than half the season with a, a torn pectoral muscle. He's the kind of guy, actually, you know, he, he is a name. I mean, he, I know that's interesting, you know, just the fact that, that he came back from this injury and is going to play on Sunday became a pretty big story, even though he's not expecting to start. And the Argos have essentially replaced him with A.J. Ouellette, who's had a hell of a second half of the season. But the idea of getting both those guys into the game means you could have a pretty dominant ground attack, potentially. And both guys are very effective at pass blocking, which is a, an underrated but important skill that running backs need to have in this league. Uh, and they both can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I really, I guess they're sort of the biggest thing they've got two stars. On defense, uh, a guy who emerged this year, Jamal Peters, uh, the cornerback, led the league in interceptions, had a three-pick game. He's probably the biggest star in the sense that, you know, the guy that maybe has the greatest chance to go to the NFL before, you know, by next season. Uh, but we've got Enoch Mwamba, who is uh, who's a 10-year veteran at middle linebacker and is still a real force there. Uh, Winton McManus, who who came in this year after a few years in Calgary and played the uh, the the weak side linebacker position and was absolutely dominant until he got hurt with about four or five games left. Uh, they're the closest thing they've got to stars. But you're right if you if you were to go around the league and ask fans who's the biggest star on every team, they could probably come up with a name on every team. I'm not sure they could come up with one on the Argonauts. They might say Andrew Harris, I guess. That, that's right. So that because you don't have that standout player, you don't have as much attention placed on the team either. So they kind of slip under the radar, even though they come in as the favorites, they still go under the radar. Right. I think that's I think that's true. I think that's one of the reasons that they're not getting as much respect as they probably should among pundits and among a lot of fans because people they people look at them like what are they? Who are they? What's their identity? Are they uh, are they a heavy running team or are they a heavy passing team? Well, I mean, Bethel Thompson led the league in passing yardage, but but he wasn't the most efficient passer in the league. He was down maybe maybe around fourth or so on that on that chart. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have a dominant receiver? No, they don't. They don't have a Geno Lewis or a, or Dalton shown or you know they don't have a 1500 yard guy in the receiving core what they do have though and you alluded to this is they've got a real sense of teamwork and particularly on their defense they are that defense is a strong unit they can they can rush the passer they can drop into coverage they can stop the run uh, they led the league in takeaways uh, their identity arguably is probably more around their defense than anything else and it's a, and it's the kind of defense that I think you know fans really love because it's not 
it's not the, the bend but don't break type of defense that you typically see in the CFL these days where they, they just dare the offense to, okay, you try to move the ball 15 plays down the field. Eventually, you're going you're gonna to run yourself out of downs. They, they, they will play a zone, and they will, they, will, they will give you some stuff underneath, but they'll also jump the roots and make, make the picks. Uh, and they can they can clog up the middle of the line if you want to try to run into the middle. They can they can pass rush from the outside or the inside. The defense is in some ways if the Argos do end up winning the Grey Cup, it's probably going to be based uh, number one on defense, number two on offense, and then the third the third most important part of it would be special teams. That's been the one kind of weak area for the team this year. Uh, although they've shown signs recently of improvement on the special teams. Their, their, their kick coverage is good. Their kick returns have not been good until right at the end of the year they started to get some good returns. And their, 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 their punter has been fab- fabulous. The directional punting, their place kicking has been inconsistent. But Boris Beattie was money last year, and I think Boris Beattie will be money in the playoffs. Who do you think we match up against better, the Blue Bombers or the Lions? Oh, well, I mean, you'd have to say the Lions, I guess, just because the Bombers have such a winning pedigree. I mean, you know, if if you're into the Grey Cup against the Blue Bombers, you've got, you got to go against the fact that you're playing a team that's now trying to win its third in a row. And they they were, I mean, they, they, they blew out Hamilton two Grey Cups ago. So three years ago, there was no season, of course, in 2020. And then last year, they, they had to win in overtime, but they won through inc- incredibly clutch play in overtime. Uh, so there's there's there, there's a bit of a mental block possibly against anybody going up against the Bombers in the Grey Cup. Having said that, I would love nothing more than to see Andrew Harris going up against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the team that let him go, the team that thought he was too old to be worth the kind of money he wanted to be paid. I think Andrew Harris with a chip on his shoulder in the Grey Cup game will be a sight to behold. And of the teams not represented in the division finals, which team do you think is the best? Of the, of the remaining five teams in the league? Correct. Uh, well, the team that scared me the most was the Hamilton Tiger Cats, frankly. I mean, they're because they're the Argos' nemesis. I fully expected Hamilton to win last week over Montreal. I was surprised that Montreal won as easily as they did. Uh, Hamilton is a, they're a mystery. They, they got off to a 3-9 and nine start this year, which was not reflective of their talent or their coaching talent. Uh, then they pulled it together, won five or six down the stretch and looked like they had it together. And then it all kind of fell apart last week. I will say as well, I mean, the, the team that the Lions beat last week, the Calgary Stampeders, they looked like they were going to win the Grey Cup the last three or four weeks of the season. They were, they, I think they, they rushed for 500 yards in their last two games or something crazy like that. They, they just put together a ground and pound game. Uh, but they went away from it last week against the Lions. They only, I think, had 10 carries among their two court, their two running backs, uh, just completely confounded and befuddled everybody. So, yeah, I think, I'm, you know, I think the, probably the Bombers might be glad that Calgary's not coming into to Winnipeg on Sunday. The Argos are probably glad that Hamilton's not coming into Toronto on Sunday. <laughs> so you think it basically worked to their benefit? Well, I don't want to say that because it sounds cocky, and I don't take Montreal lightly. I mean, Montreal, Montreal was full value for that win last week. They, they, were, they got out to a 22-6 to lead. They scored touchdowns on three of the first four possessions, uh, and they looked like they were just going to roll away with it. And then they, they kind of settled down quietly in the second half, didn't really do much offensively, but, but established a, a pretty good ground game to control the clock. 
but yeah, I, you know, if I, I actually, to be honest, I wanted Hamilton to be in the Eastern final because as an Argo fan, I want to, I want to vanquish the, you know, vanquish the ghosts. I want to beat the team that's going to be toughest. So I was kind of hoping for the Tiger Cats because I would be so sweet to beat them after what happened in last year's Eastern final. Yeah. And, you know, now we got Montreal and I, again, don't take him lightly. Trevor Harris is, he had a playoff game a couple of years ago where he threw six touchdown passes. He, he's put together some amazing performances in his career. Uh, they've got, they've got a two or three headed running attack uh, with William Stamback and Jeshwin Antwi and, and Walter Fletcher. They can pound the ball. They've got a very aggressive defensive line. So I don't minimize the fact that they might give the Argos one hell of a battle. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a very close game. But I, I do think the Argos would have been in their own heads a little bit if it had been Hamilton, and I don't think they will be with Montreal. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees program is available worldwide now back to the show okay now last time you were on the show you did predict that the double blue the argonauts were going to win the great cup i know you're also a bethel thompson supporter now serious question here and don't don't be too much of a homer when it comes to it but <laughs> yep did bethel thompson take a step forward this season uh i think he did in some ways he would for sure he's been he would be the first to tell you he's been way too inconsistent and he's in virtually every game he played this year he left two or three huge plays on the field he had he had receivers open deep and he overthrew them he uh he threw a couple of picks that he would want to have back I mean, the Argos could have, they, they finished 11 and 7, and they absolutely could have been like 15 and 3 if they hadn't cost themselves a few games. Mm-hmm. Bethel Thompson, I think, where, where I think he, he took a step forward was in the sort of the mental game. I think, I think Bethel Thompson has come to terms with the fact that he's not going to be an all star, he's not going to be Nathan Rourke or even Zach Caleros, but he is going to be a guy who can win the game when it matters the most and what he did this year is that he did and he's actually done this through his career but i think he did it he did it more comfortably this year he led his team to some some late game heroics he you know they went into they went into some half times trailing and he'd come out on fire in the third quarter or in a few cases in the fourth quarter and bring them drive them will them to victory and that's what i think we're going to see i it's funny we have not he he's he's said this all year long and, and he's right we have not seen the best possible game from the argos or the best possible game from mcleod bethel thompson a big question on everybody's mind i think that follows the team is will we see that game before this year is over i actually think we will i wouldn't be surprised if bethel thompson comes out and either on sunday or the following week in the gray cup assuming the argos get there has an unbelievable game for the ages where you know goes off for four touchdown passes and 350 yards or or leads them to a decisive to a to a, a you know a game winning touchdown in the last three minutes both of those things are within his grasp and i actually think he's going to do he's going to do one or the other or both uh in the coming weeks so you would say probably confidence is the thing he gained most this season i think confidence and and um 
kind of self-awareness. I think, I think, I think one of the things that may have held him back in the past was that he, and I, and he did do it a little bit this year as well. I think he's got a bit of a tendency to beat himself up a little bit too much. If he, you know, if he plays an overall good game, but he throws one bad pick, all he thinks about is the pick, uh, or the, or if he misses a, an open receiver deep, that's what he comes away thinking about. And I think he's learning to, to set that aside, see the big picture, focus on what's coming forward, not what happened in the past. Okay. Okay. Now, me and I had talked about this a couple of days ago because it just seems a strange decision by the CFL, but maybe there's something, maybe there's more to it. Maybe you know. Why is it that these playoff games are being scheduled right against the NFL? It's a good question. I mean, it's tradition. I guess they've been with the, the playoff games with, with, with one or two exceptions over the last, I'm going to say, 40-ish years. The games have always been on Sundays. It, it's, it's debatable whether it's the right thing to do. I, I mean, you can make a case for both, right? You could make a case for, for leaving them where they are because, well, first of all, it's, it's worth noting that although ratings were down for last Sunday's two games, the two CFL playoff games were still the highest rated sports things on, on TV on a very busy day. There were, you know, being in Canada, we have access to all kinds of NFL games, right? There's usually, right. I, can, I can usually see four. I don't even have the, the Sunday ticket package, and I can always get four four NFL games at one o'clock and I always get two games at, at four o'clock or four thirty. And I, of course there's always the Sunday night game. So I, if I wanted to, I could watch seven NFL games every Sunday and with just a pretty standard cable package. So there was all that stuff. Plus the Leafs were playing at five o'clock last Sunday uh, and the Raptors were playing at six o'clock. So it was a crazy busy day on the sporting schedule. And despite that, the CFL games had, had the biggest crowds of or the biggest uh, uh, ratings of any of those other things. Now, you can also argue that people would rather do other things on Saturday than sit inside and watch football. Saturday is somewhat of a day of work in this country, and it's a day for, for people that work during the week, you know, to go do their grocery shopping or do their yard work or take the kids to their hockey games, whatever. So I don't know if Saturday would be better. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind the league trying it. I'm actually kind of in favor of the league maybe making a three-year commitment to try to play their, their playoff games on Saturday rather than Sunday. Uh, and let's see what happens. The Grey Cup, I think, is always going to be on a Sunday night because it's a Grey Cup festival. You need to have those three or four days of partying where people come into that city and they want to, they want to party on Friday night and Saturday night and Saturday in the daytime. So I don't think you'd ever see the Grey Cup move off Sunday. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to see them try moving the, Grey, the, the playoffs off Sunday and let's see what happens. They did try it. I'm going to guess it was about... 15 years ago roughly I, I could be wrong on the date they tried one or both games on a saturday and the ratings did not look good and so they, they bailed out of it really quickly i think maybe it's worth a three-year experiment to let's see what could happen but you know it's funny the argos actually were forced to play a home playoff game in 2004 on a friday night because of a scheduling conflict in the sky dome and play it was an electric atmosphere in that building on that friday night uh it was almost like you know friday well and of course the league's biggest biggest tv property is friday night football yeah. so they had friday night football and it was a playoff game right it was and i think there were 35 or forty thousand people in sky dome and it felt electric the trouble is you can't really do two playoff games on a Friday night because then you'd be having one of them starting at 10 or 10.30 and you're going to lose a big chunk of Eastern Canada uh, who are just going to go to bed. That's right. 
So I, you know, I think the Saturday ideas it got a lot of merit. I'd love to see them think about it. The ratings were down 27% this year compared to last year's semifinals, but still the highest rated programs on TV that day. Okay, I live in Toronto. I'm a football fan. Granted, I, I watch more NFL than I do CFL. But as a football fan in Toronto, explain to me why I should probably be watching the Argonauts in the playoffs versus a Week 10 NFL game of a team I enjoy. Well, I mean, obviously, there's a hell of a lot more at stake. Uh, you know, we're right, we're into the sort of the dog days of the NFL season right now, where you know it's 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 far from the playoffs. Positions have sort of been established in many cases. Interestingly enough, the scoring's way down in the NFL this year. It's uh, mm-hmm. I think I saw a stat saying that the average game now is having 43 points scored. The CFL this year averaged a little bit over 50 points per game. So we we've maybe flipped the trend that was going in the wrong direction the last few years of of. Uh, how how much scoring was happening and general entertainment value. I think I don't think that we've been overwhelmed by the entertainment value of a lot of NFL games this year. Although there have been some that have been superb, and there are obviously some tremendously exciting athletes playing in the NFL. But yeah, I mean it's 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 a game to go to the to go to the Grey Cup. So everything's at stake, and arguably the the Eastern Final and the Western Final are the two most important games of the year because you lose, you go home. You win, you get to the dance. You get to the championship. Once you're there, it's it's a it's a coin flip. One or the other is going to win, but you can't you can't win if you're not in it. So you got to win the Eastern final or the Western final to get there. I think we're going to see a tremendously exciting game on Sunday. Honestly, if you're if anybody's listening to this that's in Toronto, uh, I would say you'll have a you'll be far more entertained in the building if you actually were to go to BMO and watch the game live you'll be more entertained than you would be watching any NFL game because that is an amazing place to watch a football game it, it even when there's only 12,000 fans in the building it's electric in there and it's got fantastic sight lines it's got real grass there's no no advertising on the field it's a beautiful setting and I can guarantee you this Sunday's game, the crowd is going to be buzzing from the beginning and it's going to be a really fun experience and atmosphere. Uh, and like you say, it's week 10, right? It's, it's the NFL. It's, it's, if you miss a, missed a couple of games this week. You're not going to be, you're not missing anything super important. And maybe you're watching Case Keenum playing quarterback for the Bills. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> seem like, doesn't seem like a, a recipe for an entertaining game to me. Have, have you been to a live Bills game? I have, yes, yeah, and it's, it's it's super fun there. I, you know, those are those are great, right? The from the tailgate parties to the to the way the whole building erupts when the Bills score a touchdown. It's a it's a fantastic experience, no question. How does that compare to the BMO experience? Uh, well, I like BMO more in some ways because I feel like it's more intimate. You know, build the I forget what the name of the Buffalo Stadium is these days, but it's a giant facility, like like every NFL facility. So there's a lot of seats that are miles and miles from the action, way up high and so on. Whereas BMO, you know, the, if they put every single seat filled in that building, it's twenty five thousand. It's I I feel like you're you're tighter to the sidelines, tighter to the field in BMO. It doesn't, it, you know, those those big NFL stadiums. They they have a lot of things going for them, and you know, I'd, I'm I'm hoping someday to get to the real the real temples like the you know the stadium in in Arlington, Texas, or the new stadium in LA, yeah. uh, just to see just to see how spectacular they are. 
but I don't think intimacy is one of their strong points. And I think intimacy is a big strong point for BMO. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, you're watching, you're watching players who are making less money than many of us are making. Uh, they're, 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 they're doing it for love of the game. They're not doing it because they're, they're multimillionaires, right? It's, uh, uh, it's an accessible product. The the, the, the fans are, are, arguably more passionate. I mean, I, I'm not going to say Bill's fans aren't passionate. They are, absolutely. Uh, but some people go, a lot of people go to Bill's games to get hammered and, and jump on tables in, <laughs> in the parking lot. Yeah. Everybody that goes to an Argo game is there because they love the Argos, basically. And we're a, we're a small band of, of renegade fans who are sticking with our, our team and our league despite the fact that the marketplace that we live in has essentially turned against it. So there's that sense of solidarity and, and, and togetherness that, that I, I think is infectious. And I think anybody who hasn't been to an Argo game and doesn't believe me should go and check it out and see what that's like. All right. The Argos are favored. Latest lines I've checked are favored by three and a half. Do they cover? Yeah, I hope so, but I, I would bet it's going to be a game within three points. I think the Argos are going to win by three points or maybe even two or one. I, I think it's going to be a very tight, tight game. Uh, it would be hard on, hard on you know, the, uh, the nerves. My daughter, who's my season ticket partner, she gets very nervous and she, she just, she, she can't, she really has a hard time dealing with the tension when it's, when it's up for grabs right at the end. But uh, it makes it so much fun when it happens, especially when you when you come out on the winning side. So I think it's going to be a like a game within three points. Okay, and then the Blue Bombers are favored by four and a half. Do they cover? Nope, nope. Lions are going to cover that one. I'm I feel very confident that Nathan is going to keep keep that game close, if not lead, drive the the Lions to to a win. Okay, okay. I honestly, I'm with you there. I have I'm with the Lions, provided the weather holds. Okay, so yeah. we're supposed to get some bad weather leading up to it, but. By Sunday, it's supposed to be clear. If it is, I like the Lions to actually get the upset there. I'm with you with the Argonauts, and I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a field goal. I think it's going to be the last field goal wins it. Yeah, you know, Boris Beattie, I could absolutely see Boris Beattie doing that. He had a he had one incredible kick last year game in Hamilton. The, the week after his his long time, uh, well, not his long time, but the Argos' long time, long snapper, Jake Reinhardt, uh, suffered an absolutely debilitating arm injury. He almost had to get his arm amputated. It was so badly injured in the game. And the following week, Boris Beatty wrote Jake Reinhardt's uniform number on his on the little platform that he that they put the ball down for for place kicks. And he kicked a really long field goal to win the game at the end in Hamilton. He lifted up that he lifted up uh, Jake's number and showed it. It was an exhilarating moment, and I could see, I could absolutely see Boris doing that again on Sunday. Right on. Now, me personally, I've got some connection to the CFL, a couple of interesting stories that I always like to share with people who are CFL fans. First of which is I got to meet John Candy because of the CFL, because of the Toronto Argonauts. Nice. All right. I literally went to a Argonaut game by fluke. It was during that time when Candy was one of the owners. Yep. And there was almost nobody in the stadium. So my friend and I literally walked down to the very first row yep. and picked a spot there. And then there was a catch right at the sideline directly in front of us. And they had the whole Jumbotron, you make the call. Yep. Yep. <laughs> right? yep, so, yep. Yep. So it was my buddy and I on the Jumbotron saying that definitely out, definitely out. Referee rules it out. Everybody gives us a cheer. And that was right before halftime. Yep. And at halftime, John Candy came out, walked down the sideline, came right to us, 
gave us a couple Argos hats. Said, nice to meet you. Thanks for making the call. Hope you guys come out more and enjoy the game. Totally humble guy. What a fantastic story. Thanks for making the call. What a great thing to tell you guys. Yeah, just amazing. You did not expect it at all. At first, of all, I didn't think he'd be there, right? Yep, you know, you yep, know what I mean? Yep. But the fact that he yep. was there, it was like a, you know, a midweek game. Amazing. So that, that's the first thing. And the second thing was, when I first got into football, I was watching an equal amount of CFL and NFL because my father was into both leagues. So I watched, yep. I watched both, of course, being from Toronto, instant Argonauts fan. And my favorite player at the time was Daryl K. Smith, D.K. Smith, if you can remember. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, I do indeed. Just just a phenomenal wide receiver. Probably, probably should have played in the NFL when it comes right down to it. But I watched him play. He was amazing. He dominated in his time. And then a number of years later, I was at a actually a Super Bowl party in Mississauga, Ontario, and he was there. Wow. Wow. And I got to meet him and the guy's just huge, right? Just yep, massive. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep, and I said, yep. I said, and he's like, you know, hey, my name's DK. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, you're you're not DK Smith, are you? He said, Yeah. He goes, You wow. know, you know who I am? I said, Yeah, you're the you were the wide receiver with the uh, Argonauts. He's like, Wow, he's like, nobody watches the CFL in Toronto, right? It's like <laughs> he was he was amazed I knew who he was. So we talked a bit and I was like, you know, how come you never end up in the NFL? And he said, flat out. I was never big enough for them. And he, he looked massive to me, <laughs> right? And it was a, basically based on size. It was all measurables. And at that time, there was something about his size that just didn't gel with the the NFL at that time. It's not the case anymore. Now, I mean, anybody of any size can play. You just need the ability. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure he told you the whole story because what I what I was told, I, first of all, I love DK Smith. I think he's I think he's the the second greatest receiver in the history of the Argonauts. The only one better was Terry Greer, uh, and in fact, I've been I've been on a campaign the last couple of years trying to get DK into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame because I I believe he's he's equal he's he's at the same level as Greer and Mervyn Fernandez and David Williams, all of whom have gone into the Hall in recent years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think DK he he had a he had a good tryout in the NFL and uh, he uh, I think he may have cost himself a shot by by not taking it as seriously as he as he should have that's what I was told that he told people of course he's gone he's been he's been dead for five years now sadly he died died too young of cancer Uh, but I he was he told people that he had blown his opportunity in the NFL I think he had NFL caliber talent he had unbelievable hands I I was I wrote a book about the 91 Argonauts as you know and I I mean I talked to teammates about DK and Ricky Foggy told me that his hands were bigger than Shaquille O'Neal's I mean he no wonder he caught every pass thrown to him he just the guy was a stud uh, and he cut passes over the middle right but he could also burn you deep uh, an amazing amazing receiver and then he'd come over after scoring a touchdown in skydome he'd come come along the the argo sideline down by those those seats where you and your and your buddy were down in row one and he'd be he'd be whipping up the crowd and yelling out a primal scream he just an amazing amazing specimen he was such a dominant player for five or six seasons in toronto uh you know even though they had they paid all that money to rocket ismail in 1991 crazy money 18 million dollars over four years yeah. uh D- dk had more yards than him receiving that year dk scored the the touchdown that turned around the gray cup game that year he was an absolute force and the one of the greatest competitors any of his teammates ever played with absolutely fantastic guy too him and i became friends we 
Wow. With him for a few years. At that time, he was actually a personal trainer at a club in Mississauga, Ontario, because you look at him and it's like, yeah, maybe you can make me like that in your dreams. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but... He, he, he was ripped. I've got, I have a photo of him and with John Candy I, I taken in Edmonton on, on a, the walk through the day before the game in 1991. And Candy, of course, is wearing a suit and DK's got no shirt on. And oh my God, like what a six pack that guy had. Yeah. Uh, I, it's one of my big regrets about that book was that he's one of the, one of the few guys from the 91 Argos that I never got a chance to talk to because he died in early 2017, just as I was getting started started on the project. I never got a chance to talk to Deacon. I, I would have loved to because I bet he would have had some amazing stories. Oh yeah. No, just a pleasure. Pleasure to know. Great guy. Great advocate for the sport. It's, you know, too, too, too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Well, you're fortunate you got a chance to get trained by him. Uh, I, I hope you've got a six pack like his. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, again, pleasure to talk to you, Paul. I'm glad I got to talk to you this time. Like yeah. I said, talking to you makes you want to watch the CFL, especially living in Toronto. You hear a lot of negativity with that, or you hear nothing at all because there's so much focus on the NFL and the NFL market. But yeah, the CFL has a, it's a great game. It's a great game. And I had not gone to a game for years. And the last game I went to was <laughs> us losing to the Ticats in the division round. Mm -hmm. Mm. right and that was justin was like look we got to go we got to go so and i was glad i went because i agree with you the bmo is a great place to watch football so so give him that i mean i was i was gonna say you know you come out on sunday there they've, they've now opened up the upper east side they've, they've apparently sold out the lower the, the whole lower bowl and the whole upper deck on the west side so they're opening up tickets now for the upper east side and i was gonna say come out and have a great time you'll enjoy it but if you were there last year and you brought bad luck i don't know we need you right so <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But on the other hand, you know, maybe you're due, right? You you saw a loss. Now it's now it's now you're due for a win. And that those two stories you told about Candy and DK give me a very positive feeling. I think that 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 helps contribute to my confidence about the game on Sunday. So. Oh yeah, there's even more. There's even more to that Candy story. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience, where no sport is left behind.